We are speaking with the one and only uh, Jeff Downs, of course, of Asia and many other bands. Uh, the new box set, the reunion albums, 2007-2012, comes out June 11th or this Friday. And as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Jeff. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Bonjour. I'm very well, thank you. You okay? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're surviving. We're, we're doing good. It's, it's only 42 degrees Celsius here in Montreal today, so. Oh, that's cold. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Okay. COVID has not bit, killed the podcast bit, stars yet. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit warmer here, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's just quickly talk about the uh, the box set and and putting this all together, and the band getting back together in 2006. You had been doing that stuff with uh, some other members, and then you said, "Hey, you know what? Let's get the real band back together." Talk to me about that decision to get them together. That that led to this um, making of all these albums. Well, I think it was more to do with the fact that we, um, we'd we been having various discussions. And I'd started working with John Wetton again on, on, on another project called Icon, uh, which was our own kind of exclusive project. And um, we got talking about maybe, you know, maybe we should see what the other guys are doing. And, and uh, so we contacted Steve and, uh, and Carl. And um, we sat in a room one day at the beginning of 2006 and uh, said, you know, let's let's give it a try. So initially, it was just going to be for touring. I think that was the uh, that was the start of it. But of course, once we got the taste of getting back together again, that's when the um, the idea of going and recording an album came about. Yeah, and it and it turned out great. Now, but before you got to the album, you 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 of course had the uh, the live album, the uh, Fantasia Live in Tokyo, two thousand seven. Uh, talk to me about uh, uh, capturing that, and and is it a a live live album where we hear what you played, or do you have to touch it up in some spots and go, hey, you know what, let's let's make it as perfect as possible? Well, I think that was actually um, you know it was un it was un untampered with. Um, it, it was something that uh, part of the reason we wanted to do uh, record a, a live album in in Japan was because. If you remember when we did the Asia in Asia show back in um, 1983, John wasn't with us and uh, and we had Greg Lake. So it was kind of something that we felt was, uh, it's, it had to be done, you know, with the original lineup. And I think it was a great opportunity for us to play to, you know, a, a great fan base out there in Japan and, um, and put the album together. But it's actually... Uh, as far as I remember, it was um, uh, we didn't really mess around with it too much. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think it's a, a nice document of that the original band now. Hmm. It really is. It's it's really cool to talk to somebody like you that's just a, a pure mus- musician through and through. You know, we were talking to Billy Sherwood not too long ago about what it's like playing in bands that are just extremely musical. And the cool thing about you is that, you know, you've come from, you had the pop side, but you also play the real proggy stuff with Yes as well. It's like, what are some of the big differences from a musician's standpoint of like going from being, just playing pop songs to playing some of those intricate stuff that you would do with Yes? Well, I think the thing was that we'd all, we'd all come from that background, particularly the other three guys in Asia, certainly John with UK, uh, Steve with Yes and um, and Carl with ELP. So even though I'd had a, a brief stint with Yes, it was really, um, you know, that was the sort of foundation of, of the musicianship. Uh, and I think that 
we managed to combine you know, commercial music and, 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 and pop rock songs with that musicality. And I think we were probably one of the first bands to actually do that, to achieve that, was to, to have the, the pedigree of progressive music, but at the same time turn it into something different. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think that for whatever reason, we just happened to hit it at the right spot with Asia. And, uh, uh, but, you know, I don't think it's anything that we've ever uh, moved away from. Uh, everyone was an extremely technically gifted player, certainly uh, Steve, Carl and John were you know, icons in their own right as musicians. So yeah. um, it was something that I think they wanted to get away from playing those great long pieces. You know, I think uh, Carl <laughs> did those huge uh, epics that uh, ELP used to do. And and it, yeah, and it was it was an exciting thing for him to... to it was a challenge, I think, for, for all the guys that we, we could actually form this new type of music, if you like. It was the turn of the 80s and a lot of things were changing. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty well, you know, the question answered in a nutshell. Yeah. No, it really is. Uh, just before we move on to, to, to re-exploring these these five albums, uh, you do have Ron Bumblefoot Thought of, of Guns N' Roses or formerly of Guns N' Roses with Asia now. What is the future of that lineup? And does it record a follow-up to Gravitas? Um, I think we've always thought about that. Uh, obviously, uh, I think Ron's very busy with the Sons of Apollo stuff that he's doing at the moment. He has his own solo career as well, and he's you know he, he's very very active, uh, and of course he's been overseas at the moment. You know we, we've been separated by the the great big uh, Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and of course Billy was with us as well on that on that last tour. But you know we've not been able to do any live stuff. So it's really been put um, it's been put on a, a ba- in abeyance at the moment. But certainly I think now things uh, would appear to be easing off on that front we hope that we can get back out um and and maybe do another album i think that this uh, it's a great lineup i think that when people saw us uh, a couple of years ago now they were very uh you know it was a, a very appreciative appreciative crowd that came to see us yeah and, and ron does a great job so so let me get back to that first reunion album phoenix um, talk to me about going in there, because it is one thing to go out and play some live shows and make a live album and, and you've got the hits. What was that like going into those sessions and coming up with those songs? Do, do, do you remember going in and thinking, OK, it's 2007, 2008, we've got to make Asia for this time? Or do you go in and say, all right, how do we recapture the 80s again? What was the approach for Phoenix? I, I think we didn't really want to look back too much uh, uh, you know thinking back uh, the first album was was enormous and uh, uh, in terms of sales and uh, you know global uh, appreciation but I don't think that was really our, our, our guide on uh, our guidelines on this I think what we wanted to do was we'd enjoyed getting back together again it was a rebirth of the band we'd enjoyed we enjoyed working with each other again and so it was really a natural progression to go in there and do do an album in the studio and Phoenix was I suppose the idea of the Phoenix was coming out of the ashes and um, uh, rising from the ashes yeah (laughs) Asia from the ashes yeah rebuilding Asia um, in terms of a profile and and I think that 
once we'd done that album and we, we were comfortable with the way that it was going and um, uh, you know we weren't we weren't chasing our chasing our shadows in, in that respect that's really led to more touring and then the idea of going in and doing another album uh, which was the Omega album uh, and so it continued like that really and uh, it was just something that I was really happy with because it was great to be back writing with John again because we you know we had a long period where we didn't really do anything for for for, for many years and so rekindling that writing relationship with John was very central to the whole thing for me. It really was. Um, I'm going to move around just a little bit because I, I don't want to forget some of these other questions that I have rolling around my head. But I just really just want to go back for a second to video killed a radio star and, and the buggles. Um, the, the song was first recorded by Bruce Woolley and it, it sort of does a little bit. And then, of course, you re-record it with Bruce uh, on guitar and it, it becomes this massive hit. Um, my question is, what was the impact of having MTV feature it first? Does that sort of define the song? Does it does it change how it's perceived? Because it, it became culturally significant by being that first MTV video. Yeah, I think it did, and it's something that uh, it still it still gets raised as a question as you've done today. You know, it's um, it's something that we we didn't really give much thought to because Video Kill the Radio Star uh, came out in 1979. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, MTV wasn't launched until August, 81. Uh, 1981. So there was a couple of years really between, uh, by that time, we'd already been in Yes and I got off and started working with Asia. So it was, it was almost a, a period that we didn't really have any significance to, to the bubbles at that point. But of course, when MTV started, MTV only started as a very small channel. It wasn't, I think it was mainly East Coast America, but not, right. it wasn't a kind of right across the board. So uh, it was It was something that somebody said, oh, a couple of weeks ago, there, there was a, a new channel opened up called MTV and uh, and they, they opened with your video. So I said, well, that's great, you know, um, without really attaching too much significance to it because right. By that time, it had started to escalate and it had spread right across America and, and every, you know, all the kids were so into it and it just really snowballed. Um, uh, and having said that, I think that at that point, we really felt that, you know, it, it was a significant song for, for, that, uh, for that generation. And of course, you know, as the years went by, MTV came bigger and bigger and bigger, became global thing and uh, I think that it's helped to it's helped to retain that song in the public domain in certain a lot of respects because you know even today it's 40 must be what 43 44 years since we wrote that song right yeah. and you it's, still hear um, it in uh, tons of commercials today it's, like it's, it's still just as culturally relevant as well, it's and, ever been <laughs> and we do approach it from that revisionist history of it must have been significant when MTV played it, but as he says, MTV was nothing when they played it. It was it was a it was a cable channel, you know. Exactly, yeah. It came <laughs> mainly New York and Boston area, or right. whatever, Philadelphia, maybe. You know, that was about it. Uh, yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, it, it's it's nice to have that on my uh, on my CV, you know, because the very opening chords of my uh, of my keyboard part, you know. So yeah, that's that's great in in that respect. But at the same time, uh, we it it was just the timing of it. The planets aligned, and that was the thing that MTV picked up on straight away. But as they say, it has helped perpetuate the the. Uh, appreciation and the profile of that song for all of these years which is which is great also because I you know I, I, I'm very proud of that song I think the, the, the version we did was was um, it still stands up as a, as a great pop song it does and, and I actually rebought it on CD yesterday I've had the uh, the vinyl since 7980 but I, I rebought <laughs> it on CD just yesterday because I was like why don't I have this on CD anyway I have it you got to have it. Let me let me just quickly ask you in terms of songwriting, because you you look at, uh, of course, Video Killer Radio Star, Heat of the Moment and all these songs. They sort of define classic rock when you when you think, but what's a great classic rock? And you go, yeah, Heat of the Moment. That That's uh, talk to me about your songwriting process and how these come together, because you didn't write just songs that are forgotten. You write songs that people go, yep, culturally significant. Yep. Classic rock, classic. Uh, what is the songwriting process? Well, I think I've been fortunate that that uh, I've had some fantastic writing partners with Trevor uh, and John yeah. and Chris Squire, um, who uh, even Glenn Hughes. You know, so I've I've actually always seemed to end up working with bass players, and I don't know why that is, but uh, I had this sort of fifty-fifty arrangement with with bass players, and. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know, maybe that's the, the, quite often these people, you know, that I've worked with are from similar backgrounds. And, and I think that that's helped to, uh, it is a kind of very English undertone to some of it. Uh, I was brought up on church music, so there's there's those anthemic choruses uh, that, that uh, become very predominant, in, in, in certainly in my writing style. Mm. So maybe that's something that, you know, people can... Uh, relate to that they they hear these these anthemic songs and with with hooks and melodies and you know production ideas and all that sort of stuff. It all comes together in in uh, you know in, in the way that I operate. So uh, as I say, I feel very privileged and very lucky to have worked with some of the greatest musicians in in the world. Um, so yeah, um, uh, that's there's no real secret ingredient in terms of the process. It's it's just you get in a room, as I used to do with John most frequently, you know, sit in a room and we'd just sit around the piano and chuck a few ideas into the pot and that would come a song. So then when you go to work with John and you write a song like Heat of the Moment together, which is one of the greatest, I think, less is more guitar riffs of all time, do you guys go and write that on a piano with the chords first, like that brown, now, now, and then Mike yeah. comes in as the producer and says, oh, we should translate that to guitar? Or, like, How does that become the guitar riff? Um, we we had it on the piano because it's it's based on the the sequence is based on the verse mm -hmm. approximately, um, but we had to insist John and I had to insist that Steve was quite reluctant to play it with the power guitar chords, uh, and we really had to kind of tread on him a bit and say, look, Steve, with this is how we want it. You know, we want that down, down, down. And, yeah. and eventually he got it. And of course he did a great job because he stacked up loads of guitars and, 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 uh, 
and did it his way. His part, because you're never going to hear Steve Howe play power guitar chords for for the most part, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's still to this day one of the most iconic guitar riffs of the '80s. Like you hear that, and you know exactly yeah. what it is right away. It's almost like start me up, yeah. or you know. Yeah. Well, I, I said, you know, I think we said to him, you know, just think Deep Purple, you know, put your Deep mm -hmm. Purple, put your Richie Blackmore hat on for, mm -hmm. for one minute, you know. Oh, it's it's uh, so good. And, and uh, one other thing that I want to talk about real quick with uh, with Asia is the cover artwork by Roger Dean. Uh, that adds to the to the mystique. It adds to the perception. It is just, you know, you see that album, especially back in the day, going through the vinyls at a record store and you go, "Ooh, what is this? How important was the actual and the visual representation of the albums where the art just spoke to people? I think um, Roger's very, very involved. <coughs> Excuse me. He's very, very involved with knowing what the music's about before he gets the inspiration. And I think maybe the name of the band Asia spirited up these images, these oriental images, almost like the dragon in the uh, in the sea and the, the, the Leviathan, you know, the, the <laughs> triangle, yeah, the triangular logo. Um, it was all very kind of ethereal and, and Eastern flavor. And I think that's one of the things that, that Roger really picked up on. And so, yeah, I mean, in terms of logo, it's a very, very, very powerful logo when you see that that pyramid form the triangular logo uh as he did with yes you know if you go back to the yes album the, the famous bubble logo that that's been with yes for over 50 years uh he just has a knack of being able to to put something together that reflects the music so if you you know in short if you're asking me how important he is i'd say he was very important because it, it was, it wasn't like something that had been before. You know, he, he managed to capture that imagery, that very, very direct image of the the dragon on that first album, the eagle on the second album. So that's very much his thing. Is he likes to have a a central figure in the middle of all his beautiful swizzles and you know swirly mm. artwork and all that stuff. And we've kind of lost that in the, in the Spotify age. Uh, Jeremy, you might not know this, but earlier this year, uh, Downs Braid Association put out Halcyon Hymns. One of the greatest albums of, uh, of 2021. Um, just, a, just a quick word to, to remind folks about Halcyon Hymns because it, it is a fantastic album and, and people need to, to know that it's available. Um, just talk to me about that real quick and, and what do we do with DBA moving forward? Well, it's, it's uh, something that uh, we got together with Chris mm -hmm. back in 2010. We were doing, uh, we we're actually doing a Buggles gig. It was one of the first gigs we ever did with the Buggles. Mm -hmm. And we did the whole of the Age of Plastic album. And Chris was working with Trevor on, a, uh, on another project called The Producers. And I met Chris through that. And, and he said, you know, I'm a huge Buggles fan. I'd like to do some writing with you one day. And it just so happened that He'd moved to L.A. and then I was uh, in L.A. a few months later. And so we got together then and started putting the, uh, the first album together. I'd, it's a very, very, uh, it's a real love project because, you know, we, we really get into doing these these nice melodies. He appreciated the, the, the writing and uh, my, my input into the whole thing. And so it's, it's gone on. So in the fourth album, we, um, 
we we got together. I sent him uh, some ideas and a little a little uh, file, and mm. uh, and he started working on those. And really, that's how uh, people have been working during this lockdown. I think largely because people have been separated geographically, so it's been the only real way that people have been able to collaborate, which is in a in a virtual world. And I think that. Uh, it's something that Chris and I were doing from pretty much from the beginning. So it's uh, it's a very um, it's, it's a very rewarding project, and we we're looking forward to taking it further in the future. Yeah, and, and it, it, it was uh, surprising because it wasn't on my radar for for this year, and then uh, it was pitched to me for the interview, and I listened to it because we did an interview back, uh, I guess, a few months ago, and I was like, wow. I am so glad that this was brought to my attention because it was—it's really okay. well put together, really well done. Uh, Jeremy, go go for it. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that project. I need to check it out because yeah, you do. He's been gloating about it honestly since it came out. So yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's real good. Here's a question for you. You know, in 2021, there's a lot. There's a big resurgence of 80s music, for example, in modern day pop. And I'm curious to know if. A contemporary artist was to go in and sort of say sample heat of the moment or video kill the radio star. What contemporary artist would you like to see pay homage to your music? Um, I I don't know really. I think that uh, it's it's always nice. We've had various always getting various requests every few months from uh, on on each of those songs specifically. Mm. Um, uh, and I think a few years ago, Will I Am did a version with of uh, called Checking mm. It Out, which was mm -hmm. uh, just my little piano part from Video Kid, the radio star that was on a loop, uh, and that was a big hit. So I'm quite happy for anyone to to look at it because it, I think it's a reflection of the impact that, that my music has had. If someone turns up to me and says, "Yeah, I'd like to use a snippet of that or mm. a sample of this." Uh, I'm quite happy to to let them have a go at it, uh, provided it's not you know not really tacky or or it. Uh, we always get the opportunity to listen to it first anyway. Um, right. So if Post we don't like it, and does like a big uh, re-recording a heat of the moment or Billie Eilish or somebody, you know. <clears throat> Well, yeah, Billie Eilish. I wouldn't turn that one down. You know, definitely not. <laughs> no, she she's great and. Uh, we, uh, we, of course, have mentioned Video Killer Radio Star, but I do want to ask you, how important was it for Asia to have videos and be on MTV at that time? Because you couldn't escape, and, and maybe that's the wrong word, but, you know, watching much music and, and MTV at that time, Asia was on all the time. Uh, how important was video to the band? Well, I, I don't think that's the reason we we set out to do what we did. I think of course. initially our whole concept was to make a great album. And, mm. and that was, you know, the video was, was something in many ways was an afterthought. Uh, certainly when we did the video, video killed the radio star, it was more of a, an afterthought. We spent four months on the single and, you know, one day on the video. So in mm. terms of it's, it's the actual focus of your, yourself. What, you know, I'm essentially, I'm a musician. I'm not an actor, you know, um, but having said that, it did have a serious um, beneficial impact because at that point it was around the you know it had been going about a year before Asia came out or six months or so. Mm -hmm. But it really 
taken off at that point. I think that we were we were tailor made for it in some respects because uh, we were with a new record label, David Geffen. We were the first band signed to David Geffen's new label, um, and they they you saw MTV as being you know, enormous amount of exposure for 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 their artists and and you know every record label in the world wanted to get their 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 acts on MTV because the global exposure was massive. Right. Um, it's not just like trying to pick up the odd regional radio station, and uh, which we managed to do anyway. It was certainly, I think it was ultimately radio that broke us rather than um, really? MTV. But well. it, it was all, it all adds to the whole thing of promotion and the magazines and the press, everything. You put it all together and you end up with, you know, a huge impact of... Uh, uh, of uh, promotion, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this, uh, at least for my questions. Uh, the Reunion Albums, a 2007-2012 box set is out uh, later this week. Uh, the, the XXX album, the, uh, the, the 30th anniversary, just quickly, uh, a couple of words on that. It is the last one with Steve Howe. He, he decides to walk away afterwards. Uh, what was that like, making that album? And, and how do you think it sort of holds up uh, almost ten years later, I, I think it's. Um, I think all all three albums are you know have a, a significant place in my you know, certainly in my life because uh, that was really. I think we felt that Asia had not been given enough of a shot by any of us and the first time around, and so this was a, a kind of way of atoning what we what we we'd missed in the interim, and so. The, the third album, I think, it, it is a trilogy. It's it's the the, the, the final chapter with Steve, of course. Yeah. Um, and I think that we, we probably never thought that when we got back together again, we'd even do one album. So to do to do the three albums, I think that's why it's significant. It's nice that it's coming out as a box set. Uh, and I think with the added album of that, you know, the the, the Fantasia album, which was the first time we'd featured other songs from our past, which is something that we never dwelt on right. uh, with the original band. Certainly, we, we tried to get away from that, so we'd never have done Fanfare for the Common Man back in 1982. But uh, I think when we got back together again, we felt that you know we could do whatever we like now because you know we're here we are and uh, we're back together and we you know we've got a we've got a, a clear palette. And I, I think that that was really our thinking behind the whole, the whole, uh, uh, whole group of reunion albums. Yeah, and by the way, uh, uh, the the Fantasia one is great because first of all, you do cover a roundabout and video kill the radio star and all this stuff. But you should, of course, celebrate everything. This whole stuff about oh, well, Asia only does Asia and Kiss only does Kiss and Aerosmith. Yeah, forget it. You have a bunch of great songs. Play them all. Keep the fans happy. That's what I say. Well, exactly. And I think that we had um, it, it helped to point people from where we, from our various backgrounds. And, yeah. and you know, my background was was more pop than quite a lot more pop than the other three guys who'd all come from these, you know, complicated progressive rock bands. But. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that that was part of the charm of the whole thing was that we managed to we managed to consolidate that and uh, uh, and as I mentioned before, retain that element of musicality in there, but not 
sell out. You know, we weren't we were just suddenly a bunch of teeny boppers jumping up and down. You know, we <laughs> still had the, the integrity. And uh, I think that's very important. And so I, I believe that's why, uh, why we were well received when we got back together again, because people remembered what Asia was like and, yeah. uh, and they wanted more of it. Yeah, we certainly do. There you go. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Jeremy, anything? No, that's it. I mean, this is a great pleasure to talk to you and, you know, find out the whole thing with Heat at the moment, because I always wondered about that guitar riff and the cool... It's cool to find out that yeah, you kind of wrote it on piano and kind of went from there. Yeah. I, I always good. had that argument yeah. with a buddy of mine. I'm like, dude, you know what? I bet you they didn't even write that on guitar, and it was like a studio thing that they ended up doing later, and it was cool to find that out today. Yeah. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, well there you know. go. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And uh, folks, pick up the box app. Uh, cheers. Yeah. And uh, keep up with your Twitter Twittering. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Jeff follows me on Twitter, and I, I'm I'm busy with my in the, in the Twitter sphere. So uh, isn't he the uh, best, Jeff? I mean, come on. I, yeah, I'm, I'm a great Twitterer. It's my it's my one accomplishment in life. You're the best tweeter <laughs> yeah, around. He's part of the Twitterati. Yeah. That, that is me. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Merci. Uh, yeah, As we say in Montreal, merci. Yeah. Thank you. Merci. See you That's later. Awesome. Cheers.